Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Well, we welcome those that are watching on TV and at our new campus, Victory Manford, that launched last week. We are cheering them on. Last Sunday, they had 200 people show up for the first Sunday, which is amazing in a town the size of Manford. We celebrate them. We started our series, My Best Days, and this week, the word of the Lord is God's not finished. God's not finished. If you have a Bible, go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and we get loud when we open up the word. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul the Apostle, he is speaking to the church at Philippi, and Paul the Apostle was someone who just believed that everybody's best days were still in front of them. Paul the Apostle was a man who believed with this deep conviction, God's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with my church yet. He's not finished with uh, my family yet. He's not finished with Israel yet. He's not finished with what God's called me to do. He's not done yet. And these were the words he spoke in Philippians 1 Verse six, I am confident that God who began the good work within you will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So what Paul was saying is God's not finished until Jesus comes back. Now he's not talking about what Jesus did on the cross. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. What Paul's talking about is the work that he's doing in you and me that if there's breath in our lungs, he's not finished with us yet. No matter how old you are, no matter how bad you've missed it, no matter how bad things look, don't worry, God's not finished yet. If you haven't seen the breakthrough, God's not finished yet. If you haven't seen the miracle, if things haven't turned around for the good, don't worry, God's not finished. I love the message version. He says, there's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish to the very day that Christ Jesus appears. See, God's not setting us up to leave us halfway finished. He's not setting us up to not finish what he started. No, he wants to bring us to a flourishing finish, which means that our best days are right in front of us. You know, I think it's no coincidence this year, this past year, that the top three most popular candidates that were running for office uh, uh, in the, in, for the presidential race were all over the age of 68. And you know, I, I think about how at certain ages, people might think, maybe I'm done. Maybe God's done working on me. Maybe God's done using my life. Maybe I should just let the next generation step up and do their thing. But here we had three people ages 75, 69, 70 years old saying, I'm going to run for the highest, most gruesome uh, uh, job in our entire nation. And the nation leaned in. See, I truly believe people who live with this sense of my best days are still in front of me, they never get too old to still let God work in their life and through their life. Regardless of what you think about those candidates, it's amazing and inspiring to think that they rose up even in their old age. We just voted in the oldest president in the history of the United States. You know what? I want to challenge you today, those that are 65 and older, God's not finished with you yet. Your best days are still in front of you. Don't think that God's just going to use some young person now. God wants to use all generations, all races, and no matter how bad you've missed it. 
Some of us in this room, maybe we've had failed businesses, failed marriages. Maybe we've made some bad mistakes and we think to ourselves, God's done with me. God can't use me. He's not gonna use me in ministry again. He's not gonna give me another business. I declare bankruptcy. I'm never gonna become a millionaire. You need to stop accepting those self-limiting beliefs, those self-limiting lies, those God-limiting lies. We serve a God who's never finished when there's breath in our lungs. God can turn things around. He can get you on the right track. This last week, uh, I was at my gym and our, our kids were in the nursery and I went to go pick up our three-year-old and our one-year-old out of the nursery and the nursery worker came to me and she said, now Paul, I need to let you know, your son Liam, your three-year-old boy, he bit another kid in class today. And right when she said it, Liam went and ran and hid behind me. He was so ashamed. He just was hanging his head and I could hear him just starting to cry. <laughs> I said, Liam, did you bite a kid? <laughs> yes, I did. You know, he's crying. I just felt bad for him. He was really ashamed of himself. The teacher said, yeah, when he bit the kid, the kid pinched him back. And I said to Liam, she said, now you need to know, Liam told on himself. He came to me and said, I bit that kid and he pinched me back. <laughs> she said, usually kids don't tell on themselves, but your kid did. And then she said, then he apologized to the boy. He said, I'm sorry. Then Liam looked at the teacher and said, I'm gonna go put myself in timeout," and went and sat in the corner. I wanted to take credit for that, but man, we've got a great, I got a great wife, a great mom to my two little boys that helps raise these kids when I'm at the church and working. She's been doing a good job teaching him just to have that attitude of repentance. You know, I looked at Liam though and I said, Liam, your best days are still in front of you. God's not finished with you yet. Thanks, daddy. <laughs> you know, when we're younger, it's easier for us to accept that truth. God's not finished with me yet. But the older we get, sometimes we get stale. and We get comfortable and complacent. And we start to think, well, maybe this is just the way that I am. Maybe I'm stuck with this bad habit. Maybe I'll never change. Maybe this is as good as it gets. But we've gotta to continue to raise the lid, raise the roof and believe that God's still working in me. God's still working on me. I think in order for us to accept this, this statement today, God's not finished, it takes really three qualities in your heart. The first quality is humility. Humility. Humility says, God, I'm not where I wanna be. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not staying comfortable with how things are. I'm gonna keep letting you work on the inside of me. This past year, I invited one of my mentors, a man that I really look up to, to our church to come and speak. His name is Pastor Chris Hodges, and he has a great church in Alabama. 40,000 people every Sunday come to his church. He's got 42,000 people in connect groups. They've sent out hundreds of missionaries. They've planted hundreds of churches with their network of churches. And so I was really excited he was coming and the only weekend he could come was Memorial Day weekend. And I was thinking he was gonna come and speak to, at our Bible college graduation, but there was a miscommunication and that happened earlier. And that weekend our attendance was a little lower. Our lights weren't working all together. Our sound wasn't working that great. And I leaned over to him, I was so embarrassed because I really wanted to impress him. And I said, Pastor Chris, it's usually, usually the sound is working better than this. Usually there's more people here, I promise. You know, I really wanted to get his affirmation. My insecurity was at an all time high. I was just trying to make all these excuses and he looked at me and he said, Paul, I'm not here to be impressed by you. I'm not here to be impressed by you. And I said, well, I just wanted to hear you say that I'm doing a good job. And he never said that the whole weekend. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but I was crying that weekend. 
<laughs> and uh, he said, I'm not here to be impressed by you. He said, I care about your future. He said, I just have one question for you, though. Here's my question. Do you want to get better? And I thought about it. I said, yeah, of course. Of course I want to get better. Then he asked the second question. He said, do you think you can get better? And I said, yeah, I think I can get better. He said, then in my eyes, you're succeeding. Because success is not about impressing other people with how many people come to your church. Success is not how much money you make, how many clients you have, what kind of car you drive, what house you live in. Success is that you always stay humble and you're ready to keep on growing. Because the second you accept that you can't grow anymore, you're no longer succeeding. You're just maintaining. Success is keeping that humility, that hunger to say, Lord, I want to get better. My question for you today is, do you want to get better? Anybody want to get better? Okay, half of you. How many want to get better as a man of God, a woman of God, a husband, a wife, a single, whatever season you're in? You want to get better. Now, it's not enough to just want to. How many believe you can get better? You think you can get better. You've got to get that inside your heart and your mind. It takes humility to admit, I need to get better. You know, Pastor Chris has followed up with me. He's asked me, hey, are you getting better? You know, my commitment as your pastor is that I'm going to get better every week. I'm going to work on getting better as a pastor. I'm going to work on getting better as a husband, work on getting better as a dad. That's all God asks from us is just a heart to grow, a heart of humility, a heart to say, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I love what Paul the Apostle says in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I've arrived or that I've achieved all of these things. No, no, I haven't gotten there yet. But one thing I know. I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm pressing on to what's ahead of me. God's called me to greater things in front of me. The past is great, but the future is greater. My best days are still in front of me. See, someone of humility, they can honor the past, but they don't camp out in the past. They don't live in the glory days. They don't live in this sense of I've arrived, I've seen all there is to see, I've done all there is to do, God's done with me, he's done his greatest miracles. No, humility says he's still working in me. Paul was writing this book to the church at Philippi in his 50s. Here he had written several other books, planted other churches. He's sitting in prison in Rome, waiting for his sentence, and yet he still believes God's not finished. God's not finished. God's not finished. It takes humility to keep that hunger on the inside of you. There's a book that one of my mentors recommended to me, and the book is called Living with the Seal. Living with the Seal. And it's a book by a guy named Jesse Eitzler. Jesse Eitzler was a rapper, and the rap career didn't really work out that well. So then he started becoming an entrepreneur, working in businesses. He started a business called Marquis Jet. It took off, and then he became the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, an NBA team. But he still wasn't content yet. He still felt in his heart, there's more that I need to keep growing. I want to keep getting better. I want to better myself as a husband, as a dad. I want to better myself. There's more potential on the inside of me. And so he signed himself up for a race. And the day that he was running this race, he met a SEAL, a Navy SEAL that was running beside him. And he began to talk to him about all the things that this Navy SEAL went through to become who he is today. So Jesse said, would you come and move into my house in Manhattan, New York? Would you live with my family for 31 days? Would you train me so I can become like a Navy SEAL? And the SEAL, he laughed at him. He said, listen, I don't think you can handle what we went through. I mean, it's crazy. Jesse said, I want to, I wanna get better. How many in this room want to get better? All right. So Jesse says, I want to get better. So the seal agreed to do it. He said, you can't give my name away if you write about this. He went on to write a book and he didn't give the seal's name away. 
But he lived for 31 days with this family. Early in the morning, they would wake up, sometimes 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and run outside in one of the uh, coldest winters in December in New York City. He said, we would run through the snow. We would find lakes that were frozen over with ice, and the seal would make us break a hole in the ice and jump into the lake, then climb out sopping wet in our clothes and run through the snow to the point of hypothermia. He said, he almost killed me several times. He said, throughout the day, we would work out five, six times a day. Drop and give me 100. Drop and give me 200. He said, I was pushed to my limits. He said, I remember hearing the seal say, if you want to be pushed to your limits, you have to train to your limits. He said, my seal would skip meals throughout the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, day after day. He said, why do you skip meals? The seal would say, I like to go to sleep hungry, so I wake up hungry. Life is about living outside of your comfort zone. See, I like people of humility because they're hustlers. They're hungry. I love watching a basketball game. Not the guys that can hit the threes all the time, but the guys that are diving on the court, trying to get the ball, hungry to get a steal. They're hungry to be alive. Some of us have lost our appetite to be alive. Jesse was stirred. Night after night, watching the seal live with this kind of hunger. He said, you don't know yourself until you challenge yourself to your limits. You don't know what you're capable of until you push yourself past the limits of where you've gone. And I know this is true because my wife and I last year, we pushed ourselves past our limits to run more than we've ever ran before. We signed up for a half marathon and neither of us had ever ran really more than five or six miles at a time in our life. But we ran 13.1 miles and we finished the race. But you know, I remember from that race, we had to prepare. I had to cut pop out. I had to cut certain things out. And I had to get a hunger on the inside that there's more that I'm created to do. That I have more on the inside of me. See, a humble person believes God's not finished with me yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't reached my limits. If I'm made in the image of God, Genesis 1 says the breath of God is on the inside of me, which means that I serve a limitless God. And if I'm putting limitations on my life, I need to remember the breath that's inside my lungs. It's God breath. It's limitless life. So he said this one night, he asked the seal, what's the craziest thing you've done? What's the most difficult thing you've done? And the seal said, I signed up for a race. And there was two options with this race. The first option was to run 24 hours straight. The second option was to run 48 hours straight. How many know which one he chose? Shocker. He chose the 48 hour option. So he signs up to run 48 hours straight. He said at hour 23, I had ran 130 miles, 130 miles at hour 23. He said, the only problem is I had torn my quad muscle. So he said, I limped over to the side where the race officials were, and he said, can I clock out at hour 24? I'll limp for the next hour, but can I clock out with the 24-hour race competitors? The race official said, no, you signed up for the 48-hour race. You know what his response was, the seal? He didn't respond cussing him out, getting angry, throwing down the towel, just quitting. His response was, roger that. Can I get some tape? And he taped up his quad muscle, and he limped for the next 25 hours and he finished the 48-hour race. And he looked at Jesse and he told him this. I think this is very important. He said, when you think you're done, you're only at 40% of what your body can actually do. When you think you're done, you're only at 40% of what your body is really capable of doing. That's just the limit that we put on ourselves. And I think many of us in this room have accepted limits 
that God didn't put on us, we put on ourselves. We've accepted caps that other people have said over this. You can't do that. You're too young. You're too old. God's done with you. You messed up. You screwed up. You, you missed it. You'll never get out of this. We've got to break those limitations off. Because many of us have accepted that we can't, we won't. And because we won't, we'll never realize that we can. Because we've accepted that we can't, we won't. And because we won't, we'll never realize that we actually can. Today is the day to stir up that hunger, to say, with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's working on the inside of me than the thing that I'm facing out here. I look across the street at Oral Roberts University. What a testimony of a man who rose up in faith and said, God can do it. God can do it, and he's not finished with me yet. Here was a man in his 50s who had been denied by bank after bank after bank, telling him, Oral, you're the wrong guy. Just stick to crusades. Just stick to preaching as an evangelist. You can't start a university. You come from the wrong family. No one in your family's ever done anything like this. You don't have the money. You don't have the resources. But Oral wouldn't accept the rejections. And I'm so glad that he wouldn't because I'm a product of the vision that was in Oral's heart. And many of you in this room, how many ORU students, alumni, current students, I'm glad that he was a man who believed God's not finished with me yet. He's going to bring me to a flourishing finish. Oral Roberts passed away the month after my dad passed away. Both men lived with a sense of humility that as long as there's breath in my lungs, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. There's more that God wants to do in and through my life. You know, one thing I admire about Oral Roberts University is when I drive by, I always see the flame that's lit on top of the prayer tower, the eternal flame. You know, there's only a few eternal flames in the world. There's one at Pearl Harbor. There's one on Annapolis Bay. There's a few in other nations in the world, one in Hiroshima. But there's actually only one eternal flame I know of I looked it up on the internet, and the internet usually tells you the truth. There's only one eternal flame that's actually at an organization as a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit, as a symbol of the power of dependence upon God, that that flame would never go out. As long as we depend upon God, this university will always grow. Today, it's debt-free, and the flame hasn't gone out. I want to encourage you today, don't let the flame on the inside of you the flame of humility to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I believe you're not finished with me yet. Don't let that flame go out. The second quality of your heart, characteristic that God's looking for, for you to accept that he's not finished, number two is confidence. Confidence. David said in Psalm 27, verse 13, I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. It takes confidence to believe God's not finished with me yet. It takes confidence to believe God's still working. My best days are in front of me. See, David had been told by Samuel the prophet, one day you're going to be the king of Israel. But David had grown up in a family that didn't believe in him. He had a dad who left him out when it was time to bring all the sons into the house to be elected. Which one would be the next king? The dad and the mom probably got together and said, it's going to be one of our older sons. I mean, David, he's, he's like a... He's like a worship leader. He's really weird. He's quirky. He's got lots of emotions. Just leave him out with the sheep out in the fields. His dad didn't really believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. When David showed up to fight Goliath, his older brother said, get out of here. You're not a warrior. 
You're so arrogant. We know why you're here. Just go back home. Just go feed those sheep. Then when he got in front of Saul and he told Saul, I want to fight this giant, Saul said, you're too small. You're going to have to wear my armor if you're going to make it. It took confidence in the Lord in order for David to fight the giant that was in front of him. If you're waiting for other people to feed your confidence, they're never going to be enough. You're going to have to find your confidence, your approval, your affirmation in the Lord, your God. The Lord is the lifter of your head. He's the glory and the lifter of your head. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I think about another man in the Bible, Gideon. Gideon was a young guy who was weak. He came from a family that was weak. And God said, Gideon, I'm going to use you to defeat the enemies that are coming against Israel. And so Gideon said, God, I think you picked the wrong person. I mean, I'm the youngest in my family. I'm the weakest. And by the way, my family's like the weakest clan in the nation of Israel. And God said, no, nope, I've picked you and all your insecurities. I'm so glad that God picks people that still have issues and insecurities. Otherwise, none of us would be allowed to be used by God. <sighs> Gideon said, okay, God, but I'm going to need some help. I, I, I mean, I can't fight this battle by myself. 32,000 people show up to surround Gideon. They say, we're with you. We're going to help you fight these enemies. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, God said, you got too many people with you. If you, if you have this many people, you're going to think you did it all by yourself. You're going to put your confidence in your flesh. You're going to put your confidence in your own strength. No, I want you to know that your confidence must be in the Lord. That it was the Lord that saved you from your enemies. So God said, tell the people that are afraid, in verse 3, tell the people that are afraid that they can leave and go back home. If you're afraid, you can go back home. You're like, wow, that was mean, Paul. Why did you tell me that? Because if you're going to win this year, you're gonna to have to live without fear. If you're gonna win this year, if you wanna be part of the chosen few, you're gonna to have to live with no fear this year. No fear in this new year. No spirit of fear. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but power, confidence, love, and a sound mind. That day when Gideon announced, anyone who's afraid, go home, 22,000 people left. Two thirds of his army left. Now you gotta imagine how Gideon's feeling in this moment. These were people he was counting on. They had spears and swords and javelins and shields. He was thinking, I needed these people. I needed these guys. I was counting on them. But God was teaching Gideon to completely rely on, upon the Lord. And even after that, God said, Gideon, you still have too many. You still have too many. God, I only have 10,000. We're going up against hundreds of thousands of people. God said, go tell those people, tell all your men to go drink at the river. And the ones who drink with their hands like this, separate them from the ones who get down and just drink straight from the river with their mouth. And he separated them, and there was only 300 men. And verse 7, God said, I'm going to use these 300. See, this is the original 300. This is where Hollywood got their idea. Y'all like, for real? Maybe. I love looking at people's faces when they're not sure if I'm joking or if I'm serious. I don't know Hollywood, but I do know the Bible. And they said it first. God used these 300 men. He said, I'm going to use this, this ragtag group of 300 to take down hundreds of thousands of people that are coming against you. What was the point of it? God wanted Gideon to put his confidence in the Lord. I remember when I was getting ready to step up and pastor, I felt so insecure. Sometimes still do. I have to battle that, overcome that. But I was really counting on a few people that were around me that I had grown up with, families that I knew, and some close friends. And 
honestly, the year right before me and Ashley stepped in, some very close friends moved away. Some left the church, went other places in the city. And I was really discouraged. I took it so personal. And God said, don't take that personal. If you needed them to succeed, they would still be with you. You don't need them to succeed. Well, what? Paul, you've put too much confidence in man. God, I really needed them. I remember one night I found out one of my closest friends was moving and I was just crying. I was thinking I really needed him when I was gonna step in as pastor. And God said, Paul, you've put your confidence in the wrong place. You're banking on people to be your affirmation and your approval to feel good enough. People don't qualify you, God qualifies you. People don't anoint you, God anoints you. People didn't appoint you, so they can't unappoint you. God's the one that's put you in this place, and He's your strength, and He's your confidence, and there's someone in this room, you've lost someone in the last year. Maybe because of a tragedy, maybe because of an accident, maybe because they just moved out of your life. And there's been this crippling effect over you because your confidence was in that person. If I'm really honest, my confidence was in my dad for a long time. So when he was out of my life and he had gone on to heaven, I remember thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? I, I was really leaning on him. And I know God's not the one that, that took my father to heaven. But I know that God was using that situation to teach me how to lean completely on him, to put my confidence back in the Lord. David was saying this in Psalm 27, 13. He was saying, I remain confident that I'm gonna see God's goodness. God's gonna turn things around. And I believe I'm speaking right now to a person who's up against the odds, your college tuition, you don't know how it's gonna come through. God's saying, remain confident, remain confident. Your confidence is not in a family member. Your confidence is not in a big donor. Your confidence is not in a job or an employer. Your confidence is in the Lord, your God. I believe there's a parent in this room right now. You've had struggles with your child. You don't know what's gonna happen. There's been just a difficulty, a strain, and you've been wondering, am I ever gonna live to see this child come back to God? And I wanna tell you today, you won't die until you see that child back in church serving the Lord. The word of the Lord today. Stay confident that you're gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Everybody say confidence. Confidence. Mark Twain said, in order for you to feel comfortable in your own skin, you're gonna have to approve who you are. You can't be comfortable in your own skin without your own approval. You're gonna have to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. You're gonna have to start seeing yourself as fearfully and wonderfully made. Have confidence in what God has called you to do, the gifts that he's put on the inside of you. There's a man that I got to meet and it was such an honor, I got to hear him speak live. And his name is Nick Vujacek. Nick has written five books, sold millions of copies, acted in two movies, traveled all over the world, spoken on every continent. He's now talked to almost a billion people of live audiences. But Nick was born with no arms and no legs. His parents prayed for a long time as he was a young child. Lord, please do a creative miracle in our son. Cause arms to grow out, legs to grow out. By age eight, when it hadn't happened, he had grown up going through grocery stores, hearing kids laugh at him, point at him, you're a freak, what's wrong with you? He had experienced firsthand what bullying was like. He felt so disgusted by himself. He said, when I was eight years old, I contemplated suicide at age eight. Oh my Lord, help our, our children and teenagers. 
He said, I remember hearing the words of my pastor. I was in church week after week. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I don't know if I'd still be alive. I hated myself. I hated the way I looked. I thought God's done with me. I'm trash, I'm useless, I'm worthless. What am I gonna do with no arms and no legs? But he said, the pastor just kept saying, you're valuable. God's got a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that God has for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in the future. John 10, verse 10, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He said, I started accepting that maybe God had a plan for my life. I was listening to stories in the Bible like Joshua and Esther and Gideon. Maybe I've been born for such a time as this. He said, I, I started to look at what I did have instead of looking at what I didn't have. And I realized that I had a voice. And he said, I believe that maybe God could use my voice as a voice into this generation to speak hope, to speak value into boys and girls. And so he said, I started calling public schools to see as a teenager if they would let me come and speak at their high school assemblies. He said, I called 52 schools and every single one of them rejected me. He said, some of the schools, they knew what I looked like and they said, Nick, let me save you the embarrassment. Kids aren't gonna listen to you. They're not gonna listen to you. Sorry, we, we can't have you speak here. We just don't want you to feel embarrassed. He said, but I wasn't deterred by their rejections. In fact, I was even more encouraged. He said, by the 53rd phone call, finally someone said yes. A school said, Nick, we'll let you come and speak at our assembly, but we're five hours away from where you live. So if you're able to get here, we'll give you $50 to cover gas money. He said, I convinced my older brother to drive me that day to that school. $50 wasn't even enough to pay for the gas there and the gas back. But he said, I got up and spoke and afterwards I just was, I felt so foolish. I thought to myself, there's, there's no career for me here. I, I can't speak. Nobody's gonna listen to me. This school was only a few kids. He said it was one of the smallest schools and one of the smallest assemblies. He said, I went home the next week and I gave up on phone calls. I just was sitting in my house. But he said, one afternoon a school called and said, we heard about you speaking. Then another school called, then another school called. Today, Nick gets 35,000 speaking invitations a year. People are asking him high demand. Today, Nick speaks to millions of people a year, filling up stadiums. Filling up stadiums. Today, Nick is married. He has his own son, biological son. He's living a great life. He's continued to write more books. But he said, it started when I began to put my confidence in the Lord. It started when I began to eliminate these lies and these self-defeating, limiting thoughts that I can't, that I'll never, I'm not good enough. The book that sold the most copies was a book called Life Without Limits that he wrote. He said, it came one night when I realized no arms, no legs, no limits, no limits. I think some of us in this room, we have a lot more than Nick has, and yet we've accepted some pretty limited lies in our life, limited beliefs. God can't use me. I'm all dried up. I've missed, missed my opportunity. And here's the third point I wanna leave you with right now, and that is desire. God has given you the power to desire, to desire. It's a word that we don't talk about much in church, but it, it is a strength that God has given the human heart, desire. Many of you will leave 
in about 20 minutes and you will go eat a bunch of food because you desire to eat. You are hungry. I'm stirring up your appetite. Sitting in church, you get ready to eat. Whatever we desire, we're gonna go and get. That's what desire does. Desire drives us to go get what we want. That's God's strength in our lives, the power of desire. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, blessed are those who desire righteousness, who hunger and thirst, who have an appetite for it, for they will be satisfied. Whatever you have an appetite for, you're going to go get. This year, I want to stir up your appetite to grow. I want to stir up your appetite to get better. I want to stir up your appetite to desire more that God wants to do in and through your life. It will only happen, though, when you start to believe it. There's a story of a young man who took his mentor out on a fishing trip. They were in this boat, and he asked the older man, how did you succeed? How did you achieve all your goals? This older man was 40 years older. He had lived a great life. He said, do you really want to know? Younger man leaned in. He said, yeah. Older man took his head, dunked it underwater. He's holding his head underwater, and seconds go by. Almost a minute goes by, and he thinks he's going to drown him, and finally lifts his head up, and the young man is gasping for that first breath of air. And he said this, as much as you wanted to breathe that first breath of air, that's the desire it takes to succeed in life. The way that you desire to breathe that first breath of air. See, I believe the speed of your progress is determined by the urgency of your desire. The speed of your progress this year is determined by the urgency of your desire. How bad do you want to change? Some of us in this room, we're comfortable with not changing for another 10 years. We're not living like Jesus could come back tomorrow. We're living like Jesus may never come back in our lifetime. And so we are living with laziness and we're living with fear and we're living with complacency. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to succeed this year? How bad do you want to obey God? How much do you want to change this year? You will get what you desire, but your desire to change has to be greater than your desire to stay in your comfort zone. Your desire to get better has to be greater than your desire to maintain. Your desire to multiply and to grow has to be greater than your desire to stay in complacency. Some of us are comfortable in our couch, comfortable in our bed, lifting the sheets over our eyes. I don't want to get out of bed. Opportunity is waiting for those that get out of bed. Growth is waiting for the men in this room that say, I'm going to sign up for a discipleship class this year at Victory. Growth is waiting for the man who's been struggling with addictions for years and years. Breakthrough is on the way. God's going to bring you to a flourishing finish, but you've got to desire it. You've got to desire it. If you want to see it in your lifetime, you've got to get it in your heart. This is what I'm believing for. I think about the woman who pressed through the crowd, who wanted to see Jesus do a miracle for her. She didn't wait for Jesus to come to her. No, she started pressing through. If I can touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of the garment of Jesus, I can be healed. Her desire caused her to press in. See, your desire causes you to lean in, to press in. I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to finish strong. I want to rise up. I don't want to live in complacency. How bad do you want it this year? Henry Ford, he built his first car model inside an old shop behind the house that he rented. He called it the quadricycle. It was made of bike parts and a combustion engine. The only problem was he made it too big for it to fit through the front door of his shop. <laughs> 
He didn't know how he was going to get it out. What did he do? He busted down the walls. He said, I desired more to get what was inside of me out for the world to see than to hold on to the shop that I had been working in for a long time. Think about that. Just let that sink in for a second. What walls do you need to bust down this year? What walls do you need to bust down this year? What's holding you back from succeeding? Some of us care more about holding on to bad habits because it's comfortable. I do it every day. I do it every night. We're comfortable with our bad habits. We're comfortable with complacency. This is a year to get uncomfortable with being comfortable. This is a year for you to grow, for you to believe that God's not finished with me yet. God's not finished with me yet. This is a year to stretch yourself. One of my friends in our church got a hold of this message. He had hit rock bottom and he really needed to change. What he's doing today is just a complete miracle. But I want you to see it for yourselves. He was in the last service and I want you to see the story of what happened in him and then we're gonna close out. Check this out. My name's Jonathan Keneally, Coach JC, and I've been blessed and privileged to coach people and help people win more in life through fitness, through mental conditioning, through dynamic sports development, our sports performance facility, boot camp Tulsa, and also Fit First Responders a nonprofit. I was brought up in a Christian household. My mom was a, a single mom. It was me, my mom, and my sister. And, you know, she, she instilled in us the biblical principles at a young age, but I really never made those biblical principles real in my life until it took me hitting rock bottom. You know, I had big goals and dreams at a young age to play athletics in college and came out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was at that time where I made one decision, one choice that radically changed my life forever. You know, abandoning what my mom raised us on and, and the word of God, this young lady is pregnant. I'm at school, through a basketball opportunity. I'm out here 20 years old with no one and nothing, trying to realize where do I go, where do I turn in the fight of my life to be a father. You know, in a 600 square foot apartment, no furniture, down and out, depressed, oppressed, trying to understand what life was all about, how my story was thrown away that I created for myself. And I'll never forget laying face down on that carpet in that 600 square foot apartment where God became real to me. It was at that time where I was contemplating if I was gonna go on with life or if I was gonna take my life. And it took that downtime, a tragedy in my life, for me to really understand that I can't do it in my will any longer. You know, we all have stories that we create for our life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the house we're gonna live in and, you know, what we're gonna do. And for me, it was to play NBA basketball, it was to be a pro athlete and play Division One. And when your story's rattled, what do you do? And being desperate, I'll never forget, sitting in a class that was taught by Ron McIntosh, he talked about renewing your mind. I would say at that time is where I challenged God and said, well, if you're real, I'm gonna try this renewing of the mind thing. And I took those biblical principles on a daily basis um, that I was taught at Victory Bible College and, and um, just implemented them and put them to the test. You know what happened at first? My, my situation, it got worse. My situation wasn't better, but I got better. So after that dark time and that downtime in my life and enrolling into VBC and really just taking God's principles and promises and implementing in my life and business, man, I went on to be the youngest strength coach in the nation at Oral Roberts University and at 23 years old, was trained some of the top athletes in the world. 
and then took that motivation and that momentum and, and it propelled me to launch Dynamic Sports Development. Boot Camp Tulsa, you know, where we train uh, over 250 women every day and week here in Tulsa and fit first responders. And it just is a constant reminder to me that none of that was in my will. That nothing we've done up to this point, nothing we will do today, tomorrow, in the future, then none of this would have happened. And I tie it all back to the downtime I had in a 600 square foot apartment, contemplating if I want to go on my life to where we are now, an absolute miracle. It's all due to being obedient and standing on the biblical principles and promises in God's word. Most people uh, look at life or a situation as a loss because they just quit too soon right before their breakthrough's about to happen. And I know through victory and through the calling that God has on myself and my family, that my best days are right in front of me. I just feel in my heart to do an altar call for anyone who feels stuck and you're ready to get unstuck. I just want you to leave your chair right now. This is a symbol towards God saying, I, this is the year I'm getting unstuck. This is the year I'm getting out of my comfort zone. This is the year that I'm breaking free. This is my year to get unstuck from this addiction, from this habit, from this attitude, from this laziness, from this complacency, whatever it is, just leave your chair. Don't care what anyone else thinks. Cheer on every brave man, brave girl, brave woman, brave grandma, brave grandpa, brave teenager today that says this is my year. This is my year to start believing God's not finished with me yet. God's not finished with me yet. I want to invite those here today who feel like you failed. If you feel like you failed, God's saying the mercy this year is overwhelming. The currency of God is mercy this year. The currency that God's shelling out is mercy this year. He says, come on down. I want to encourage anyone here today who feels like you failed, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your health, maybe in your business, maybe in your, your life and your purity, maybe as a man of God, a woman of God. You're not a failure, you're a victor. You're not a victim, you're victorious. You're more than a conqueror. Today is your day to say, Lord, I surrender the failure. I surrender the problem. I surrender the, the addiction. I surrender the struggle. I surrender the habit. I'm busting out the walls this year. This is my year. You know, I look at Nick Vujicek and he's three feet tall, three feet tall, 33 years old, three feet tall. No arms, no legs, no limits. He swims every day. He types 45 words a minute with his two little tub, uh, nub toes that he's got. 45 words a minute. He speaks to millions of people. Why? He's taking the excuses off. He's taking the limits off. This is your year to take out the excuses. This is your year to take out whatever it is you've been stuck in, the guilt, the shame. I feel right now to just invite whoever it is that carried guilt into the room today. You messed up, you missed it. Don't let the devil ruin your year by carrying that guilt out of this church with you. Leave it at the altar, bring it to the altar. Jesus says, bring it to the cross. That's the only place that can heal it. That's the only place that can set you free. Whoever you are carrying guilt and shame, God saying come on down today shame off you shame off you in Jesus name if you believe it say amen church last but not least you're here today and you say Paul I'm not right with God I've sinned I've, I've, I've done things I wish I never would have done and I need to surrender I want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life 
If that's you, just slip your hand up all over this room. Hands going up in the front, hands going up in the back. Today you're saying, I want to surrender. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. We never end a service without giving people a chance to do this. This last Sunday, yeah, hands going up. Keep your hand up. I'll let it go down in just a minute, if, if you don't mind. Last Sunday, eight people received Jesus in their heart in Manford, Oklahoma, because victory started a campus there. Eight people will never be the same again. Last Sunday, dozens of people in this service gave their life to Jesus Christ. What a great way to start off your year, to kickstart 2017, by saying, God, I surrender. I repent of my sins and I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. If you raised your hand and you're not down here, would you mind just taking a bold step? The Bible says if we'll honor God before man, he'll honor us before his angels in heaven. Would you take a bold step down to this altar? Can we cheer on again those that are coming down to the altar today? Men and women. This is so special. I don't know who you are, but there's a man in this room. God just spoke this to me. There's a man in this room that you missed it in your marriage. You did something that you regret and you've been carrying that guilt and that shame, whoever you are. God's saying, I love you, son. I forgive you, son. You're still welcome in my presence. I wanna do a fresh work in you, son. Whoever you are, husband, don't carry that guilt and that shame anymore. It's time to change. It's time to get better. And it starts with receiving the mercy and the grace of God. It starts by bringing that regret down to the altar and saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O oh God. Whoever you are, just bring it to the altar right now. John 15, verse 2, Jesus said, My Father is the gardener, and He prunes every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And even the branches that do bear fruit, He said, I prune those branches so they can produce even more fruit. He's pruning. He's helping you. He's healing you. He's setting you free. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Yes, Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me he forgives you he forgives you He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. God's doing a great work right now down at this altar. Can we give God praise one more time? You're never going to be the same again. Never going to be the same again. This series stirs me up because every day I wake up and I want, I want God's will for my life. I want to live my best days yet. There's so many stories in the Word of God, so many principles that we didn't even get into today. 
that I want to this month, but I want to encourage you to take this message. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. Let it sit in the soil of your heart. Begin to just declare, not just over your life, but over your family members' lives, your friends' lives. God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. If it wasn't for Pastor Chris Hodges saying it to me, Paul, do you want to get better? Do you think you can get better? God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with your family. He's not finished with your marriage. He's not finished with your parents. He's not finished with your grandparents. He's not finished with your son, with your daughter. How many of you receive that word over those that are in your life too? Why don't we pray this prayer together? Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. Thank you for loving me. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. I believe you're the son of God. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior. You're not finished with me yet, God. So I'm gonna stay surrendered. I'm gonna stay humble. I'm gonna stay confident. And I'm gonna desire to bring you glory with all that I am, all that I say and do, I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you. 